lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Thanks for being with us today. We've got a really interesting show, and I have to tell you, two years ago, I would not have thought that I was going to do this show. Technology is amazing. But I've got Harry Garrickian, and he's a global business expert. He's a healthcare entrepreneur, podcaster, and author. For over three decades, Harry has built a breadth of successful ventures in the healthcare space. He's well known for being at the forefront of helping invest in and grow innovative healthcare companies that are tackling groundbreaking areas of healthcare and biotechnology. He's a sought-after speaker. He's frequently quoted in the media and regularly asked to assess, influence, and be part of innovative concepts and trends. He also holds four U.S. patents in telecommunications and has others pending. Right now, Harry serves as a general partner at Scientia Ventures, focusing on up-leveling up-leveling companies that have the potential to transform healthcare. In particular, the the firm targets businesses at the cutting edge of life sciences with an emphasis on computational biology and chemistry, the digitization of medicine and digital therapies. He's released a book in 2021, The Future You, How Artificial Intelligence Can Help You Get Healthier, Stress Less, and Live Longer. And that's what we're going to talk about today, and I'm just excited because he's going to talk us through and help us understand how all this new technology and this artificial intelligence can make our lives and those of our friends and family better. Thank you so much for being with me, Harry. Thank you so much for having me on the show. So... Well, that's not, I was getting a lot of static, but I'm glad I can hear you clearer now. You know, I'm just, as I said in the beginning, two years ago, I would have never thought that we would have been doing this show. Am I just kind of behind the times, or is technology moving that quickly? Oh, technology is moving at the speed of light. I mean, you know, it's funny. Um, I try to keep up with it on a regular basis, and half the time, I feel like I'm behind. Uh, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and you know, both of us are on a yearly basis. We're seeing a 10x upgrade in the technologies we're looking at. So it's not like a incremental change. These are stepwise functions that are happening in some areas. Wow, it's amazing. But, you know, when I think about it, we need mental health is at an all-time high. We have got to have solutions that are at our fingertips. I mean, and everything I, you know, I, I feel like now you've got a doctor in that little device that you hold in your hand. Yes. No, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I was looking at two companies in the last couple of weeks. One of them in particular I'm excited about that has a wearable device. Um, and a number of sensors on it where hooked up to your phone, the system can uh, see when your your stress level is starting to increase and in real time can actually, you know, uh, alert you to have you do a breathing exercise or some other form of being able to, you know, calm yourself down so that you can 
you know, stress less, as we like to say. Well, and I'm amazed at, you know, the technology that I use. I got board certified in neurofeedback back in 2005. And when I look back at what we were doing, I'm like, oh, that's so ancient because it's, <laughs> oh, my gosh, technology has changed. So and and in the last year, I have uh, bought a device that was developed in Hungary in, and it's a very complex biofeedback device. And it's amazing to me. I just bought a little portable unit that I can program. I can put the protocols in there for the people and they can take it home and they can wear it. It's, it's amazing. It's about the size of a, it's a about the size of two decks of cards, but doesn't weigh that much. And to be able to get the right frequencies and to be able to, to create the right communication on an intercellular level between the brain and the body, that's to me, I, I, I'm thankful. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of really interesting things that are um, being developed. I mean, yesterday I was actually at a company called Embodied because um, uh, I'm in California right now and uh, visiting them and they have a small robot that interacts with children that have social skills uh, issues like autism and the robot interacts with the child and is able to sort of evaluate their language their um, uh what they're feeling like, and then interact with the child to help them calm down, as well as teach them social skills. Um, and I was amazed at how robust the conversation level of the robot was. Like you could ask it or say anything, and it would adapt on the fly to what you were saying and carry on a conversation. You know, I wouldn't say it's conversational like a human. But it was really close. Wow, that is amazing. You know where I see that being even equally important with older people that are in assisted yes. living. Oh my gosh. Yes. So that's the other uh, area that they're going after. But right now they're doing a clinical trial um, to actually show unequivocally that when you the child interacts with Moxie the robot, that their stress level actually goes down and you can actually measure it. And that's not surprising at all because, you know, when you get that interaction, when you get that recognition, that that, you, if nothing else, you get those neurotransmitters to start to release. That, that creates happiness. You know, you get that serotonin flowing. So, I mean, yeah. that's to me... It, there's so much help for the mental health world. And, you know, before the pandemic, one in four U.S. citizens over the age of 12 either suffered from anxiety, depression, a mental health issue, or a substance abuse issue. Can you imagine what that number is going to be like as we start to pull through all the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, that was the other thing I was talking to the CEO about. He was like, the number of... Uh, children um, and early adults, let's say in their 20s, the level of anxiety that these, you know, I'll call them kids or younger adults have is off the chart like that. 
Oh, it is. And and I'm surprised. I've, I'm not surprised at all to have 12, 13-year-olds come in my office and tell me that, that they have anxiety. I am a little surprised when I get seven and eight-year-olds, and that's not that unusual. And they have the terminology. They know what to say. And that's what surprises me because I don't know about you. I didn't know what anxiety was when I was seven years old. I didn't know what depression was. No, I, I, I and, and, you know, I'm not being in that space of, you know, the, the understanding all the psychological nuances. I, I mean, I know that when I was a teenager, I had moments of, like, stress. Because uh, you're a teenager and it's just, you know, all these raging hormones and you something goes wrong. But I wasn't, I don't think I had anxiety. I don't remember any of this stuff. And even if you did, you sort of, you sort of, I don't know, got up and kept going. And now it's a very different dynamic, which I don't fully appreciate. Well, I mean, I, I I can I know people have said, you know what, I just got to suck it up, Buttercup, and push through. And my response to that is, no, you don't. It is okay to not be okay, and recognizing that 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 because if you can recognize and accept, okay, you know, I'm not I'm not okay. Um, And then you can start to think about what can I do to help that? And what I love about devices, mobile devices, like something that you can hold in your hand, is the answer's right there. It's And the younger population, that they're so in tune with that. I mean, you give me a, a mobile device, and it'll probably take me 15 minutes how to figure out, you know, how to do things that they can do in two minutes. Yes. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I, when I look at these companies and technologies, I'm really looking for a couple things. One is it has to work in real time so that the person gets immediate feedback so that you can get ahead of uh, the an episode of, say, anxiety or stress. And the second thing is, is I would really like to see technologies that have gone through some sort of clinical trial so that I know that there's been some sort of objective measurement are those companies out there? At least the two starting points for me when I'm looking at these things. Okay. Because, you know, I, I'm wrapping up a PhD and I've learned a lot about clinical trials. And it's it, that's a tremendous amount of effort. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, we're, we're used to investing in therapeutics, you know, um, and devices and having some sort of uh, bar that they need to cross uh, is important. Now, you know, we will invest in things that may not have gone through a clinical trial, but, you know, it's preferable so that when we're making a claim, we believe in, you know, that that claim is true and can be validated in some way. And there are a number of uh, new techniques coming out where you can objectively measure stress and stress hormones. So that as opposed to it being a psychological evaluation, it's actually a a physical measurement that you can make that certain hormone levels is actually going down um, as opposed to going up. Well, I'm amazed. I have a a piece of equipment in my office, HeartMath, that I've had for over a decade. And you just put a little clip on their ear and you can pick up, you know, the heart rate. So 
the, the technology has been there. I just don't think that we've all been ready to accept it and really look at it as a solution. And I think that we're more we're at a point in time where we understand that it that we do need we do need these solutions. And it's not always just about going and seeing the doctor. That's for sure. No, no, no. I mean, having I, I look at all of these technologies that are being developed as providing the individual their own personal dashboard, so that they can actually see, sort of be more in tune with themselves, um, and then they can make lifestyle choices uh, that would impact their own health and wellness. Well, you just said some powerful words right there, lifestyle choices, because I can't tell you how often I discuss lifestyle choices with people that come and how important it is in the decisions that you make. And you know what? It's I get more pushback on changing lifestyles than anything. What do you mean you can't get on a sleep schedule? You know? What do you mean you can't walk away from that video game or that TV or that that social media? Um, lifestyle choices, for, for me, the way the brain works, sleep, that's the only time those little glial cells can come out and clean up all that those toxins and your diet. I mean, those are such basic things, but they're reflected in our lifestyle choices. Hard to change. Agreed. So when in writing this book, you know, what was your mission to write the book? How artificial intelligence can help you get healthier, stress less, less and live longer? So in reality, it was really trying to make uh, the subject matter and point things out to people that, so it can be as accessible as possible to the broadest group of people. And the happiest moments are, you know, I get an email from somebody um, or they'll post a review and they'll basically say they incorporated one change or one or more change in their life and they actually saw the difference. And that is something that makes me truly happy because I can't, that, I can't do more than that. Um, and it's people, you know, either they got a wireless scale and understood how their diet was affecting their weight, or they downloaded one of the sleep apps that I talk about in the book, and they were able to see how certain choices completely changed, you know, the outcome of their, how much rest they got. Well, I think, you know, we live in such an instantaneous world right now that instant data resonates with us. If I can get that feedback immediately, oh, oh, wow, I got to do something about that. Yeah, and, and maybe you need to go through it for a few months and look at the data to believe it because, you know, you don't want it to be one fluke, uh, you know, dynamic that's driving this. But the technology actually lets you do, you know, what I would, what, you know, what is traditionally called as sort of A-B testing. If I did this, this happens. If I did that, that happens. But you can actually, like, now do it and see how you, as an individual, in your personalized lifestyle, react to whatever that changes that you made. Before this, I don't know, it was a... Any data to support your hypothesis? 
Well, I mean, I think that we all, you know, I like, so I mentioned that PhD. I prefer binary logistic regression because it's dichotomous. It's yes or no, win, lose, and and odds. I understand things like that. And I think that the more understandable it is for people, the more that they will gravitate towards it. Um, what have you found to be the biggest game changer with using the technology? So for I mean, me, it's been- sleep. Yeah, sleep has been, you know, the biggest one, right? Because, you know, if you can optimize your sleep, there's a lot of other things that fall into place. And so it's, you know, understanding that, you know, my body does not like being up till midnight, right? I like it. It, it My numbers are much better if I go to sleep around 1030. Um, you know, if I'm going to have that glass of wine, don't have it at nine o'clock, have it at, you know, seven or six o'clock, right? So it moves its way through the system so it doesn't affect my deep sleep numbers. And so making some little changes like that over time has made a huge difference. And then, of course, layering on top of that, you know, exercise. And that's made a huge difference. But as opposed to guessing, it's been, a, I can actually show you numerically the impact that it's made on my health and wellness. Oh, that's amazing. And I, I want to second the comment on exercise because that is my stress management system. Exercise, I do that. I release endorphins. I feel good. I'm motivated. It, it has a great effect. And I think anytime that you feel like you're performing well, it is more motivating, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And, and in the work that I do, I have to be on and have 100% almost all the time. So I cannot afford, you know, being exhausted if I can avoid it. Well, and and I, personally, I don't feel like I can afford being exhausted because how can I take care of the clients and how can I perform well at school and how can I take care of my family? And and we, those of us that struggle with and I don't think that I'm I certainly don't believe in perfectionism. It does not exist in my world. It may in yours, doesn't in mine, but. I certainly, to be the best I can be is always a goal. I wake up with that goal every day. And to have tools that I can have in my hand to help me, I just think that's amazing. I really do. So let's talk a little bit about it. You know, let's talk about the artificial intelligence. I mean, what is that looking at? Is that because we've talked about some markers that have to do with the physiological markers, but how about emotions? Are there emotional markers in there? I have not seen anything that uh, is, at least from facial expressions or stuff like that, that's really truly reproducible. I have seen some things from voice patterns that uh, seem to have really good biomarkers that are clinically relevant for uh, both um, more disease state than emotional state. Um, But the artificial intelligence is there to sort of make the complicated understandable, where the artificial intelligence technique is doing all the hard work and then translating it in a way that the person looking at it gets something actionable that they can 
you know, understand and take forward. And I'm always evaluating these technologies because, you know, some of them you look at and you're like, what, what is this trying to tell me? I'm I'm confused. Um, And then there are other ones you're like, oh my God, that is like clear as day. Well, and and some of us, that, and I'm including myself in here, some of us need it to be clear as day. We really do. Oh, yeah. I, and, and, you know, it's funny because, like, you know, I, I, I'm a data geek, but still, sometimes I'm scratching my head. I'm like, what is that graph trying to tell me? Um, you know, am I just being, you know, dense? Or, but, you know, then you look at another one doing a similar function from a different company and how they figured out, like, oh, my God, I see exactly what's going on. I know exactly what to do. Um, And so trying to evaluate those things and sort of put a lot of them in the book to make it easy for people to see what what choices might be there for them, that's that's what I've been trying to do. Well, and I think so many people, you know, they want that information. They just don't know how to access it. So putting in a book, that, you know, you can get online, that you can look at, that you can use to help you make your own decisions. And I mean, I think your book's on Amazon, isn't it? Yes. I mean, if if anybody searches the future you by my last name, Glorickian, it'll immediately come it'll up pop at the top. Yeah. Well, good, because I think that's what people need is access to information. And with we I used to think that, you know, the sensors and I mean, I use sensors for for neurofeedback and have for a long, long time. And so I understand what, exactly what sensors do. But some people don't. And I do neuromodulation in my practice and people are like, you're going to send something into my brain, you know, and. I'm like, it's exactly what your brain needs. That's why we did a quantitative EEG. But there's so much, some people are very, very concerned. And I think that the the concern is because they don't understand it. After a good 30-minute conversation that we have, I can see, oh, okay, you know, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the brain map. Yeah, I see I don't have any of that 9 to 12 hertz. Yeah, send me that. So I think the more awareness that people like you can create and not only with the products that you find and the research that you do but how you communicate that i think how you communicate that will really make a difference in how the person the public reacts and perceives it yeah I, i mean you know one of the other reasons was writing this book was to empower people to have the information to really be able to make choices. I mean, you wouldn't drive a car without a dashboard. I mean, what, what, I mean, what, what is it going to break down? Is it overheating? Is it whatever? These technologies that, you know, we're talking about give you your own personal dashboard to be able to make rational choices. I love that. I absolutely love that because when I can't, when I get in my car, the very what's the very first thing I look at? My dashboard, you know. Um, oh my, yeah. Look at my camera. Okay, is it okay? I hate my parking in my office, but it doesn't. It's okay because I just use my camera and I can see. And I'll get beeped at if I get too close, and and that makes my life so much easier. Yes, and and the information coming off these devices 
that's exactly what they're supposed to do is give you a, a peek into what's going on. Um, I mean, there's a device I'm wearing on my wrist. It's a, it's a whoop band made by a company out of the Boston area that it doesn't tell me when to exercise. It actually tells me when not to exercise. Or yeah. so it, 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 what it tries to tell you is, hey, listen, you really didn't get the level of rest you needed. Don't overdo it today because by overdoing it, you're just going to go backwards instead of going forwards. That's so interesting. So it'll tell you when not to do exercise. Do you listen to it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll try to, you know, hit the goal that it says I should hit and not go very far beyond. Um, and then, but if I'm in a green zone, uh, which means I got some super rest, you know, then those are the days to really like, you know, push, push as hard as you can so that you can get the most out of that day. Um, and it's, it's very accurate in the number of parameters that it looks at temperature, heart rate, sleep. Um, as a matter of fact, I think it's uh, Tuesday the 5th. I'm uh, dropping my podcast episode where I interview the, uh, the head of data sciences for WHOOP and we talk about, you know, what, how many millions of people are using it and how they can actually see uh, different disease states and different conditions through all the data they're picking up off of the device. So how do you find the medical community? Are, are they receptive to that? Your general practitioner uh, doctors? <laughs> I, I think the only way to answer that is it depends. Um, like my doctor loves it. Um, but, I, you know, I've run into physicians that hate it. Um, but there is a whole, you know, area that's growing now in primary care, uh, you know, we call it remote patient monitoring, where, right. uh, you know, when the physician signs up for it, uh, their patient population will get a, uh, uh, a box with devices that are specifically designed to monitor their health conditions. Well, you know, I think that is, that is automatically. An- not to interrupt you, we're getting ready to go to break, and I, I want to just be sure that when we come back, we can pick that that subject up, because honestly, the medical community community has had the biggest pushback on what I do. So stay with us. We'll take a break, and then we'll be back. back after these messages. Welcome to Geraldine Tegelove Live, the show that shares with you the secrets of redefining, reinventing, and rebuilding your life. Having pulled herself from the rubble of financial ruin and having gone on to create a highly successful career, Geraldine has become an expert in the art of transformation. She believes that it doesn't matter where you are right now, how overwhelmed you feel, or how impossible the task of turning your life around may seem. You can do it. Stay tuned as metaphysician, international best-selling author and intuitive, Geraldine Tegelov gives you the inner understanding 
and the outer practical how-to to create your amazing life. Gain a fresh perspective on how to redefine, reinvent, and rebuild your life. Join Geraldine Tegelove live every Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on the Toginet Radio Network. that many prospective college students work under the management of handlers. A tutor helps with SAT preparation while a consultant concocts the perfect resume to present to colleges. They say the closest people ever come to perfection is on their resume. But college admission staffs aren't so bubbleable. That means gullible when it comes to sorting out students' qualifications. What's another word for a person with enough education to go to college? A tancom. The graduation cap was initially a hood and is believed to date back to the Celtic times when druid priests wore capes and hoods to symbolize their intelligence. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. back. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. We're back and we were getting just to the most interesting point when we it became time to take a break and that is how the artificial intelligence is becoming integrated in with traditional primary care medicine. So Harry, let's talk some more about that. Yeah, I'm, you know, I, the technology I was referring to is termed as, uh, you know, remote patient monitoring. It's where we can use these different devices to monitor patients, you know, from their home. Um, where if a, you know, physician signs up for this sort of service, uh, a box would go out to different patients with different devices in the box uh, for their particular condition. And uh, then they would just plug in a hub, uh, and the hub automatically sets everything up. Uh, it actually doesn't even use the Internet. It uses a cellular connection, so they don't have to worry about hooking it up to the Internet. And every time the patient measures themselves, they will see, you know, the data will automatically get transmitted to their physician. And then when the physician logs in, Basically, they get a dashboard on their patient population, and they can basically see, you know, people that are, uh, you know, their numbers are not looking, you know, the way they'd like them to. And then they can have their office react in real time as opposed to, oh, my God, that patient came in once a year, and we have to manage them based on that, you know, one piece of information that we have from them. So you see this becoming more and more just normal, part of your everyday life. Uh, I don't see any way around it as we're going forward. I mean, if to, you know, I, there are plenty of studies out there that say, let's say you're monitoring patients with type 2 diabetes. If you're able to sort of help them make adjustments, uh, we've seen that comorbidities, in other words, the things, the, the secondary issues beyond the diabetes that cause harm drop by like 25%, which is 
absolutely a huge number when you think about, you know, there's so many diabetics. If you could actually alleviate 25% of comorbidity issues in the population of diabetics, that would be hundreds of billions of dollars in healthcare spending. And, uh, you know, beyond that, I think people would just be happier and healthier. I, I totally agree. But, you know, there's we've still got those skeptics. We've still got those people on the sidelines that are just, uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know. What do you say to them? Well, I think what we've tried to do with some of these technologies now is uh, integrate all the right uh, codes in them so that the physician can, you know, make sure that it's being billed to insurance. And so it's it's being positioned more as, a way to make sure that you don't lose revenue. Um, you can also manage a larger patient population because, you know, you can monitor a lot more people with, a, you know, one of these uh, central command centers than you're going to have coming in the door every day. So I think we're making headway with uh, convincing them that they need to start to incorporate these technologies into their practice. And that's what I'm seeing right now. Well, and I think, but I think that's a huge step forward. You know, I was saying that before the, um, the break is that with the work that I do with the neurofeedback and the, the neuromodulation, now the psychotherapy piece, the counseling, that's, that's well received. And there certainly is, you know, that's CBT is the number one proven uh, treatment for insomnia. So, but I think that the biggest pushback that I got initially was from the medical profession. And it's it's gradually changed. And I think that part of that is in the last 10, 15 years, we've learned so much more about neuroscience than we knew before. Uh, but I think that as we move forward, as you said, we don't have a choice. Yes, and I, and I think the other thing that might have, might have caused certain shift has been you know, COVID and the almost the need to incorporate some of these things. Well, and you make a very good point with that because it, in, during COVID, it's it's been a, a godsend for a lot of people to be able to do to you know to talk to their doctor, or if they can have you know go in a Zoom meeting and see their doctor. That in itself has produced calming results and reduce the amount of stress that they have in their body. Oh, no, I totally so, agree. And I mean, I think what was happening was, you know, pre-COVID, people really were against it. And then once COVID hit, they were like, "Where, where's that telemedicine? Where's that remote patient monitor? I need to see my patients. And so I think their mindset changed. Well, so you know, there's some goodness that's come out of all of this, and I think that we have to appreciate it because there's certainly been a lot of negativity that's come out of it, and it continues. I mean, and it actually, you know, COVID hadn't gone away. I know more people that are suffering with COVID today than I ever have before. No, I so. agree with that. I mean, um, I'm in California right now, and I know that the numbers just keep going up. Um, now I would, you know, from at least the data that I'm seeing, if you're vaccinated, uh, you know, you're really not ending up in the, 
emergency room or the ICU. But if you're not vaccinated, you're you're seeing, you know, pretty good numbers of people that are suffering significantly. No, you're 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 exactly right, and I'm I am. Um, it's it just continues. Do you see any application for a device for something like COVID? There are a number of like, you know, like I mentioned to you, the Whoop or the Aura Ring or even the Apple Watch. They've done studies to show that you can see the onset of, and it's not specifically COVID, but you see like temperature changes before you get sick. Now, you know, the guess is that it's COVID these days because you're probably right more than you are wrong. But um, these are becoming early warning devices that your body is unhappy. Um, and you may either want to have it checked out or just take it easy. But I think that could be beneficial because a lot of times, you know, you'll I think, well, I'm not feeling so good today. Oh, well, it's okay. That's all right. I got to get this done. I got to, you know, bah, 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 bah. And if I had something that said, Lee, you're not doing so well today. And I thought about it, you know, maybe I would slow down a little bit. Maybe I would say, you know, I don't need to hit the gym today. I don't have to do that today. And if if that ends up helping me help myself, I'm all for that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't want to, if I'm actually getting sick, I don't want to push myself and which is going to drive me to, you know, weaken my immune system and get sicker. I want to, the, the little yellow light to blink and say, <laughs> take it easy today. Um, and, you know, missing one day is not going to, if that, you know, increases my recovery rate, I'm all for it. Absolutely. So when you, you interview and you talk with different technologies and uh, do you have a, a template that you follow with what you're looking for? Or are you just open to receive whatever's out there that could produce results? How do you approach mm. it? You know, I do do a lot of uh, reading, read the publications and everything. I, I, you know, I try to spend the time to find the cream of the crop um, before I engage. And then the, the next thing is, is, you know, the management team is trying to really understand who's running this thing. Do they have the right expertise? Are they going to be able to get it over the finish line to where it needs to go? And then I will look at the technology and the clinical data. Um, but it's sort of in that order because uh, we can't place bets on something that's only going to, you know, slightly move the needle or not move the needle at all. It's, we need to, we want to invest in something that's really going to change people's lives. So how much of a change do you see in the next five years? I used to say 10 years, but gosh, that seems way too long. I don't, I don't try to look ahead that far ahead anymore. I mean, five years is now my long-term vision. So how much change do you see in the next five years? I think that's, you know, the, the, the answer to that is a, it depends on which area, but I would say that, I mean, I'll give you an example. So yesterday when I was talking to the CEO of that robotics company, he's like, we're looking at a billion 
oh, no, 100 million parameters in the conversation that the robot can have. And we were saying that in a year, that's going to be a billion parameters. And then a year so, from then, it's so going to be, you, say, you know, closer you to parameter, a trillion. When you say parameter. So in other words, the, the flexibility that the robot has, yes, that to have a conversation and how fast it can respond and how broad of a discussion it can have. And so, you know, if you get to a, a trillion, you're now at the pretty much a level of like a human conversation. And we're only talking the next two or three years. Um, you know, the imaging technologies for looking at x-rays or CTs or things, it's, I mean, it seems like every year we're, we're 10x better than we were before. So in the next two or three years, I mean, you could see a, you know, huge stepwise functions, um, especially with the new, you know, computer chips that different companies are releasing. Like, again, they're not you know, 50% better or 100% better. They're like 10 times better, you know, 20 times better. And so what you can do with it is all of a sudden something you couldn't do all of a sudden becomes doable. So I expect the next three to five years to see a dramatic stepwise change in the technology. Now, adoption, that's different because you're dependent on humans. And we we don't change as quickly. Uh, it, it takes a while for us to accept some you know something that's new on the market. Well, and after we accept it, it takes a while for us to do it. <laughs> accept is is yes. just kind of like the baby step. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's got to permeate its way through. But I think some of these things. So I've got a small. It's not even the size of a credit card. It's maybe half of a credit card size that uh, will do. I put my two fingers on each little pad, and it'll do an ECG of my heart. When that device first came out, it was over $200, and it did a single-parameter view of my heart, FDA-approved. Uh, now that same device with just software upgrades, it's now down to $80, and it will do six parameters of my heart. Wow. So you can see this thing just improving constantly. I mean, the new software upgrade to the Apple Watch is going to have atrial fibrillation recording. So when your heart goes into AFib, the watch will automatically start recording that session so that you can share it with your doctor. Wow, listening to this, it makes me think about. I mean, you know how much healthcare costs. You know what the healthcare costs in America. We spend more than any other country in the world, and what this could do to reduce our healthcare costs. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm a fundamental believer that technology is a deflationary force that people don't think about. You, you could you do more and more with that technology every year, and it costs the same or less. And it because these sensors and technologies are getting smaller and portable and are affordable, all of a sudden you don't have to go into the ivory tower to monitor yourself. You might be able to do it from the comfort of your home. 
just, you know, to think about just sitting on the couch and just saying, huh, you know, I'd like to see, check in on my, how I'm doing today. I mean, but, but still then I struggle because I have clients that won't even, you know, you can go down to CVS or Walgreens and they'll take you, they'll give you your blood pressure. They'll take it for you. And I have clients that, oh, I don't, I, you know, no, no, no. I'm like, but that's positive information. If you're trying to manage your anxiety, don't you know, and you correlate it to your your blood pressure, don't you think that could be valuable? Oh, yeah, yeah. But they won't do it. Yeah, I, you know, there's a certain portion of the population that, you know, if they had a, a wireless blood pressure cuff at home, are going to do it, and it'll clue them into what's going on. And then there's a certain portion of the population that isn't going to do it. But I'll give you an example of a different app. So I have an app on my phone called Humanity, which takes the data from my other apps and will give me a rate of aging for me. And so what I've noticed is with a lot of people is when the rate of aging is fast, nobody likes getting older than they have to. And so all of a sudden, they get off the couch. They want to see that dial go backwards, not forwards. And so there's also, you know, you got to find the right motivator sometime because each person responds to something different. I said, but you're right. When I think about aging, when I talk aging with clients, they're very respect, receptive. Okay, you know, what can I do? I don't, I don't want to get any older any quicker. So that's you make an excellent point with that. Yeah, and there's a couple of other companies that I'm working with that with the way that we motivate people is we we gamify what's going on. So that you know they're scoring points or doing something and. There's a certain portion of the population that loves that and just that they will react to that. So this sort of one size fits all from a medical approach, I think that needs to be rethought. I agree with you. I don't think there is one size that fits all. And that's certainly something at the Brain Performance Center. It's interesting because I'll work with maybe three generations within a family and They'll all think that, okay, we're going to do exactly what we did with grandma, right? Because that really worked. No, we're not going to do what we did with grandma. You have a different brain. <laughs> it's, there is no one size fits all. Yeah, no, totally, uh, totally agree. Absolutely. Well, as we look forward, you know, the we look, we look to the future. What do, what do you think will be the the biggest impact and maybe it's in dollars and cents. I mean, I still remember those MBA days, you know, you got to make a business case. You got to have a return on investment. But but what do you think will be, will it be a social change? Will it be a financial change? Where do you think all of this can really create the biggest amount of change? I, I think it's got to be all of the above, right? They, they do, they, you know, they dovetail, they go hand in hand. But I do expect a... A, a change in where and how people are able to manage and access, you know, health care or wellness. Um, I think some of it will, you know, be available right at the home. 
um, I think we're seeing a change in organizations like Walmart, Walgreens, where they will have larger, uh, more robust mini clinics where they can manage a broader array of disease states for the, the, their patients. Um, and then I think even on the full-blown medical side of it, in you know, in these hospitals and institutions, because of artificial intelligence, they are going to be able to perform. You know, diagnosis is going to be more accurate and faster. Uh, disease treatment, where you're able to identify the right drug for the right patient, uh, is going to get much better. Um, and that all should result in a healthier population, which A, should reduce the cost of healthcare, but B, increase the economic activity of the entire country. Well, let's go back to what you were saying about prescription drugs, because, you know, of course, a lot of the people that come here, they come because they've been told they either need to be put on medication and they don't want that or their medication is not working for them. And, you know, there's so many side effects that are associated with that. Do you see a device being able to, I don't know if this is the right word, but calibrate the medication to the person? Oh uh, well, so I think there are certain, you know, disease states where, you know, if you could get the person to lose a little weight or whatever, they may not have to take the medication. That's that's always going to be the case. Um, but in areas like oncology, right, or cancer treatment, I think these days I don't know how an oncologist, you know, goes forward without, let's say, gene sequencing some the tumor. And then being able to associate the right therapy with the gene sequence of that tumor. And, you know, you'll see that all the drugs being approved now have a gene sequence associated with them. So you can't prescribe it without doing that test. And then when you do that test, it basically gives you a much better idea of the guided missile that will do the damage you want it to do to the tumor and basically have a better outcome for that patient population. That's great news for me to hear. I'm not licensed to manage meds and I don't really know that much about it, but I think that's great for, for the, our listeners to hear is that there, that type of technology, that type of validation is there. So if you're afraid of medication because of the side effects and, and the stories that you've heard, maybe now's the time to rethink that. Oh, yeah. And I, and I have a whole section on, you know, genomic and genetic testing in, in the book that basically lays out for people, you know, how these technologies are used in different ways to, you know, understand that certain medications you're not going to react that well to um, or that you you metabolize that medication very slowly. So maybe you need a lower dose or the opposite. Maybe you metabolize it very quickly. So you need a higher dose, but you know, there's no way that a physician just looking at you is going to be able to do that. Right. They need to do this sort of testing to be able to understand how your, you know, how it's personalized to you. So we've got about into three, three and a half minutes left. Let's have a conversation that people could have, they could use to have with their doctor to 
have this kind of uh, of assessment done. So, hi, Harry. How are you? I'm you very good. How get, are you? I'm fine. You want me to get on this medication. And my friend was on it, and she gained five pounds in the first week. Another friend was on it, and she couldn't sleep. You know, and I think this is just terrible medication. Why do you want me to get on it? How do, how do you know this is good for me? What could a listener, how should a doctor answer that? Well, I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I never, like, stepped in, in the way of a physician that, you know, uh, they have much more training and, and have an understanding around this. But there are a lot of medications, you know, uh, that you can do a genomic test for that will give you a better indication whether how well it's going to work or um, how well it's not going to work for that patient. And there are those tests available depending on the drug. It's not for everything, unfortunately, but we're adding more and more as time goes on. Uh, like I said, from an oncology perspective, is definitely there. It is definitely there. Um, from a psychological perspective, there are more and more tests coming on the market to understand which drug you should prescribe to that patient as, as opposed to trial and error. So I think we're eating into the trial and error that doctors are used to doing with this sort of testing. And I try to cover quite a bit of it in the book to help arm the average person with the knowledge to be able to at least go in there and have a conversation. So the book, what I hear you say is really the book does provide you what you need to know to, to know how to have that conversation. Because, you know, we, and, and I have absolute total respect for doctors, the amount of training that they go through and, and that the knowledge that they have, no denying that at all. But, and you know, I can remember my mother when I moved back to Texas, she had all these pills on, on her kitchen table. And I said, why are you taking them? Because my doctor told me to. And so, you know, I think that's one of the things in the last minute that we have, if we could just encourage people it's and let them know, it's okay to ask questions. You know, it's your responsibility to ask the questions to understand what's right for you. Any closing comments that you'd like to make, Harry, um, to our listeners? Well, you know, they always say, like, knowledge is power. And having an understanding of your own being, you know, empowers you to manage that, you know, vessel that we use on a daily basis better to get to better outcomes. And if you manage it better, you may you may not have to take half the medications that, you know, you needed to before. Boy, that's a great line to end on. Thank you so much for being with me today, Harry. I, I'm going to get the book. I need to read the book. Thank you again. Thank you. Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, TogiNet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. 